Caution. The contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. Today, we're looking at a composer who has actually been a listener request for a while now. And if you'd like us to profile your favorite composer, write to us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. Who are we talking about? Our composer this week is Vidrik Smetna, and we'll also be looking at his Viserad, or The High Castle, from his tone poem collection Mavlast, or My Country. Biedrich Smetna was born in an unusual geographic area, in that it has changed hands many times throughout history. In 1824, he was born in the city of Leitomaischl, which was located in Bohemia, which at the time was part of the Austrian Empire. Later, it became part of Czechoslovakia, which is of course now two separate countries, and Leitomaischl has ended up on the side of the Czech Republic. Now, in spite of this cartographic turmoil, Smetna is cited as one of the first nationalistic composers of Eastern Europe. Smetna's father was a talented amateur violinist, and he taught Smetna from an early age. Apparently, Smetna performed Haydn string quartets at the age of five. He also learned piano as a very young child and was gifted on that instrument as well. However, he never really got extensive formal music training as a child, and he might have also had the destiny of an amateur musician like his father, were it not for him falling in love, because he really was a true bohemian at heart. While attending school in the city of Pilsen, Smetna became reacquainted with the childhood friends he used to play duets with, Katerina Kolar. She was studying piano formally in Prague, and out of the kindness of her sweetheart, she convinced her teacher to also take on Smetna, not only in piano, but theory and composition. And this was just the opportunity he needed. Apparently, all this time he had dreamed of being, quote, a Mozart in composition and a Liszt in technique. Now, I don't know if that's a dig on either of them for technique or composition, but... <laughs> <laughs> I think it's aspirational. And Smetna was a proficient student, and soon he had attracted the attention of the director of the Prague Conservatory. Apparently, he was good enough to be recommended to the job of music tutor for the family of Count Leopold Poon, and thus he went from amateur to professional. Now, Smetna actually became friends with his technical idol, Franz Liszt, and he also modified his dream career path a little. Rather than looking to be a world-touring performer like Liszt, Smetna now wanted to open a music school in Prague, and he did so in 1848 with the moral support of Liszt. In spite of his obvious talent and love for his country, he did face some difficulty in getting his school off the ground and making a name for himself. In 1856, he was offered a position in Sweden as the music director in Gothenburg. However, he didn't much like it there, thinking that it lacked culture. <laughs> the rest of the 1850s were unkind to Smetna as well. His wife died of tuberculosis, and they had previously lost three daughters in childbirth. And so Smetna returned to Prague, still mainly unknown. However, there was a new theater being built there, the Provisional Theater. 
and Smetna was instantly enchanted by this venue, as it was dedicated to performing works in the Czech language. Smetna was onboarded as the orchestral director, his nationalist vigor renewed, and soon this theater was a major cultural player. It was because of this theater that Smetna got into writing works for the stage. One of his most popular and fun works written for the venue was The Bartered Bride. It was a wild success, and Smetna spent the rest of his career working mostly with the operatic medium. Interestingly, the orchestra staged a bit of a revolt against him. They feared that since he idolized Liszt, and also by this time Wagner, that he wasn't really truly dedicated to the nationalist cause that the theater promoted. He did have members of the orchestra jump to his defense, though, including a young violinist, Antonin Dvorak. So tune into past episode 36 for a little discussion on this upstart player. <laughs> Smetna held on to this position for a while longer, but soon he was facing health issues from syphilis, including losing his hearing, so he voluntarily resigned from his post. Luckily, though, he didn't stop composing. After this, he produced another one of the most famous compositions, the tone poem cycle Ma Vlast, that includes six musical sketches of Smetna's beloved Bohemia. In 1884, Smetna began experiencing dementia that was fraught with rage. He was committed to an asylum and died a few weeks after his admittance. But he was not forgotten. His admirers, particularly Dvorak, ensured the budding nationalism he had nurtured for Bohemia and the Czech nationalities lived on and blossomed. So today we will be discussing Mavlast, in particular the first tone poem, The High Castle. So this piece is the first tone poem written by Smetna for the cycle of six such works that were meant to be celebrations of the Czech nationality. It was finished in 1874, and the first successful piece Smetna produced after completely losing his hearing soon after beginning composition. Of note, the second tone poem of the collection, The Moldau, is the most famous of the six, yet Smetna was completely deaf for the whole composition process for that one. So the piece The High Castle describes an old castle located on a rocky cliff in Prague. Smetna described the opening harp solo as being, quote, the harps of the bards that tell of the grand tales and triumphs the castle has seen. This harp solo immediately sets the mood of the piece with its simple yet stately four-note motif. Now, as an instrument, the harp is a bit underutilized in the orchestra setting due to its quiet nature. However, when used as a solo effect like it is here, it really does bring a new and almost magical character that no other orchestral instrument can bring. Soon the horns join the harp with this forno motif. Than the woodwinds.
With all these additive sections and the harmony of the melody getting richer, we can tell we're leading up to something big. Smetna has done a great job on building suspense based on our expectations of how introductions work. So once the violins come in, we for a moment might be tricked into thinking we have reached the main section of the piece, but no, we're still in the introduction. We do finally get a grand triumphant statement of the motif in the trumpets, and we know it's what we've been working up to because it is heralded in with a cymbal crash. We get the full force of the brass and strings and woodwinds here. Smetna uses harmonies in this grand section that are a bit like a military march. And this makes sense in the context of his concept, because his musical bard is probably regaling people with tales of great military conquests and celebrations of old. As this section of the piece draws to a close, we can distinctly hear a drum steadily beating each quarter note as the instruments playing the accompaniment fade off, as though they are marching away to a new campaign. The strings then come in with an interesting melody with lots of chromatics and a sequencing nature. The woodwinds come in next with the same melody, and we know Smetna is drawing on the fugue form for this transition section of the composition. Now I think this was a very smart compositional trick for him, given that he had lost his hearing. Theoretically, as long as he followed all the rules of a fugue, or knew how to break them diligently, then what he produced should sound good, so he bought himself a few minutes worth of music that he didn't have to stress about if it sounded good or not. The magic of theory. But this is not Baroque, so Smetna soon abandons the fugue form, but not the fugue theme. He takes away some of the chromatics and adds some nice underlying harmony, and presto, he now has what sounds like a stylized country dance. And here, the dance gets a little more formal to fit the setting of the castle. A fun solo trumpet interrupts the dance every now and again. Perhaps he's a butler announcing party guests, or perhaps he's a hunting party triumphantly bringing home their catch. Of note in this section, Smetna uses a lot of unison between all of the strings and woodwinds, and sometimes even brass. While he certainly made the conscious choice to write his music this way, you can't help but wonder if he was just a little scared to write too much countermelody action without actually being able to hear it. So was he just playing it safe? Now, he certainly did know how to write accompaniment for dances. 
Soon, we arrive at another melody that is definitely folk-inspired, and has all the requisite parts orchestrated nicely. And it was writing like this that definitely inspired the upstart Dvorak in his Slavonic dances. a sparse and probably operatic inspired section that features the woodwinds playing over eerie strings. We return once again to our opening motif with the harp and horns. This time, the buildup is different than before. As more parts of the orchestra join the motif, the horns take a background role, but it's still very important, as they play the heart-wrenching chords that could be describing Smetna's admiration and love for his homeland. We're really tearing at the romantic heartstrings here. The rest of the piece winds down, just like this section did when it was at the beginning of the piece. We even come to a really satisfying resolution that sounds like it could be the end. But just like he does at the introduction, there's more music still to be heard. The violins and timpani come in again and sound like they're ramping up to take us on one more whirlwind tour of some other part of the castle. But the horns are able to calm them back down, and the woodwinds are allowed to fade the piece out with a final repeated tonic chord. And so we have yet again revisited the Nationals theme with Smetna here, however, we hope that you've seen that each of these Nationalist pieces that we present to you really are quite representative of their individual nations, and Smetna really is credited for being the number one first Czech Nationalist. So we hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. And if you have, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes or Google Play and sharing us with your classically-minded friend. For the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. Visarad was performed by the University of Chicago Orchestra, conducted by Barbara Schubert. You can subscribe to the Coffeehouse on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. Like us on Facebook or Instagram for episode updates. You can email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com.